Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. Annie is very actively training herself how she will manage when she goes totally blind. She has retinitis pigmentosa, but still has central vision. She manages with a cane fairly well, but she realizes that her vision is declining. And so she is being trained in her surroundings in order to be ready for that day when when she loses enough sight that she will be close to blind. And then as our guest talking about one of the stories about a number of blind people that she portrays in her book. We'll speak with Margaret Barnhart, author of a recently published book entitled Inspirational Stories of the Visually Challenged Plus Resources. And the resources section is almost half of the book. So that could be very useful whether or not you're interested in the stories of these 12 blind or low vision individuals. But first for our tip of the week. Well, Margaret had four tips, but they're short and they add up to some really good advice. Number one, when told your vision loss is serious, feel the pain and experience the loss, but limit the amount of time you give to it. Number two, turn to the positive people in your life. Number three, begin to be independent very simple things like toothpaste. How do you apply it to a toothbrush? You don't have to. You get your own tube of toothpaste. You put some directly into your mouth and you brush your teeth. And number four, consider this a challenge, not an impairment. And the stories that you tell about the various people in your book give a lot of examples of how people did things in a slightly different way to lead their lives and enjoy their lives while they were doing it, despite having visual impairments. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Margaret. I am Margaret Barnhart. I used my maiden name, Thaler, thinking that it was the end of the name. And someone found me on a Google search, and I found another branch of the family that was unknown. Oh, what fun. Yeah. I live in Tucson, Arizona, in a retirement community. Now, in a bit, we'll be talking about a book that you recently wrote, but how long have you been an author? I began writing in 1987 when I had breast cancer, and it was the chemotherapy that put my mind in turmoil, and the only resolution I found was writing, often at 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, the book we'll be talking about today is particularly about the lives of visually impaired folks. What is your connection with the visually impaired community? For 24 years, I was married to a man who was blind. 
Charles Barnhart, and I wanted to honor his memory. He died in 2016, totally blind, and we had an adventure. Was your husband blind when you met him, or did he lose his vision later in life? He was suddenly blind at the age of 10, unbeknownst to anyone in the family. He was born with syphilis, country birth, small area outside of Piqua, Ohio, and the doctor came to the house. This was 1935. They had eye drops at that time, but the doctor did not have them with him. And so at age 10, Charlie was in third grade, went out to recess one day, and the lights went out. Wow. Jeez. He was diagnosed at that time, entered the School for the Blind in Columbus, Ohio, and on vacations lived at the children's home because the grandmother he had been living with felt that she could not manage a child who was blind. And um, these two agencies or institutions, whatever you want to call them, did a marvelous job raising Charlie. And I gather you're dedicating this book to the memory of Charlie. It is. It is. And it's to honor him as a person. And it's a tribute to his character and fortitude and attitude and joy in life. That's so nice. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is Margaret Barnhart's recently published book entitled Inspirational Stories of the Visually Challenged Plus Resources. Before we start talking about what's in the book itself, tell our listeners the name of the book. Inspirational Stories of the Visually Challenged Plus Resources. And now you sent me a copy of the book beforehand to read. It's essentially a collection of the stories of a number of visually impaired people and how they went through life. Can you tell us how you found the people that you focused on in the book? Charlie and I moved to Arizona in 2003. And at that time, we found an organization that was forming called Tucson Society of the Blind. We both became actively involved. I served on, well, we both served on the board. I was treasurer for six years. The group continues and I continue with them. And these are people that I have met through that organization. There are 12 stories. What's interesting about the book is the people you chose represent a wide diversity of different economic levels, different educational levels, and different backgrounds. And I assume you knew a whole lot of visually impaired people through this organization. How did you select the particular people that you selected? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They were people who appealed to me for one reason or another. And yes, I was looking for a variety. I, I wanted some with macular degeneration who developed it later in life. 
I wanted people with a story to tell, and I certainly found them. You sure did. One of the first ones I read, I didn't read them in order, but one of the first ones I read was, I believe her name was Anne, and she was a nurse and lost most of her vision later in life, although she did have some visual problems earlier in life. And I thought it was interesting to see how she dealt with vision loss at an later age in a very analytical way, kind of based on her medical training. Can you talk a little bit about her situation? Yes. Annie is a very active part of TSB, and um, I see her frequently. She is very actively training herself how she will manage when she goes totally blind. She has retinitis pigmentosa, but still has central vision. She manages with a cane fairly well, but she realizes that her vision is declining. And so she is being trained in her surroundings in order to be ready for that day when when she loses enough sight that she will be close to blind. And I take it she's around 70 now. Uh, She would be over 80. Oh, is that right? Wow. Mm -hmm. What I thought was interesting, though, is it's seems to me that it's more difficult to lose your vision later in life because you rely on your sight your whole life and there's a real resistance to doing things a different way. But she was proactively taking on tasks to learn new skills that she might need should her vision get worse or even should her physical capabilities lessen. Yes, as you said, she's worked as a psychiatric nurse and she is very insightful and very attuned to detail. For her, one of the hardest admissions to make was that she needed to use the white cane. And it finally came about one day when she ran into a lady who turned on her and was very angry. And that was the day Annie decided she needed to take that next step. That is a difficult step to take because if you're not used to it, it labels you as being blind. And people don't like to be labeled. They like to be taken for who they are. Right. And that was a lesson that I had to learn in living with Charlie. He had been on his own for 10 years before I came into his life and relied on his daughter and used her shoulder or arm to get around. And so that was what was expected of me. And even though I was familiar with the white cane and he used it sometimes, um, he resisted. And eventually I realized that he was becoming very dependent on me. Other people were not willing to walk with him. And it was particularly noticeable at the airport when he would need to use the restroom. He would walk into the restroom and have to operate by sound and would walk along the wall feeling his way. And I decided that that was the day that he needed to get back onto the white cane. And it made a huge difference because then people offered to help him. You know, that's interesting you should say that. For most of my professional life, I used a white cane, and around work, I always used my cane. But when I was at home with the kids or Nancy, since Nancy and I were always together, 
I didn't really need the cane, so I just followed her, and I never really thought about it. I wasn't particularly self-conscious about using a cane. I just didn't need it when I was with her. But when we moved to Colorado, I decided, you know, sometimes it's a good thing to have the cane just to clue in other people that I'm blind. You know, sometimes we'd be at a supermarket and I'd be standing there without my cane at the cart and Nancy would be looking for something and someone would ask me to move and I wouldn't know where to move to. And then you look either stupid or like you're not paying attention. And I figured having the cane is just a good label to clue people into what's going on. So now I always carry my cane. Yes, and, and a number of the people whose stories are in the book, you look at them and you don't know that they're blind. And so the cane is an important label. There are times it has come in very handy. We used to show up for concerts, not this year, but the foyer would be crowded with people and Pete would have his white cane and everybody would part and we could just walk right in. It was terrific. You know, people get out of the way on the sidewalk. Otherwise, they assume that you're going to get out of the way. Well, we're two people wide. But with the cane, they understand why we need that extra width and they move over and they try to be, you know, helpful or certainly not an impediment. Labels are not a bad thing. And as you say, people see the cane And it does bring out the nicer aspects of many people's personalities. They're often there asking if they can help and trying to do what they can to facilitate matters, which is nice. Again, you know, just to mention the the airport again, it helped everyone because we would get on the plane. And although there would be notes that Charlie was blind, the cane was a reminder. And the flight attendant would come to the seat Once we were seated, well, first of all, they would usually help us on board, but then they would talk to Charlie about how he would exit the plane if necessary. And um, that was something that would not have happened if he had not used the cane. Right. And that's very nice. And we always ask for pre-boarding because, frankly, it takes us longer to get settled in our seats and... With the white cane, nobody gets annoyed at that. They all just, you know, figure, well, we need the extra time. We'll get out of their way. Everybody's happier. Right. Another travel lesson I learned was to let them guide him to the restroom if that was necessary. Um, Originally, I tried to do it all myself and not only totally wore myself out, but they did it better. Yes, some of them are very good at doing that. They can be very helpful. Now, we talked a little bit about Annie, who was a reasonably well-educated person, a very proactive person. But you also, as I said, talk with a number of people from very diverse backgrounds. There were some people that didn't get a whole lot of support when they were young and really had to fight through a lot of these issues themselves. Can you talk about some of those stories? That's interesting because the people I picked other than Charlie are well-educated. But um, I will mention one who, I don't know that she would have been struggling as a younger person, um, but at the age of 60, she fell and it caused one eye to go blind. And uh, she was in the Air Force. And so, of course, 
that prompted her retirement. But her other eye went blind a few years later from surgical complications. And she was able to seek out the help that she needed. She found SAVI here in Tucson, which is the Southern Arizona Association for the Visually Impaired. And she took classes there on how to manage. Someone came to her home and helped her set the house up so that it worked for her and her husband. And they also provided uh, cane travel teaching. And then she had the benefit of the Veterans Administration and attended a six-week program there. Bobby's story is fantastic because she has traveled the world with the Air Force and she has amazing stories to tell. And I, I went into more detail with her stories even though she wasn't blind at the time, just because they are so interesting. But another one that comes to mind is Bill. I did not know Bill before this, but I was told that his story needed to be told. Um, at the age of 16, Bill was legally blind, and he began hitchhiking. That was the story that struck me that I thought, it sounded to me like he got thrown out of the house, as I recall, and you know just wandered the country on trains and is almost like a hobo. He had a topsy-turvy life and still does not stay put in one place. He still goes back and forth between Tucson and Alabama. But he hitchhiked, he rode the trains, and one of the stories he tells is laying on top of a train with his cousin, and they're coming to a bridge and his cousin says, duck. <laughs> <laughs> and it saved his life. Amazing. It could have been a shorter story, right? Yes. Out of all the stories that you do tell in this book, is there one that particularly touches you personally? Charlie's story. I just am amazed at what he was able to accomplish in his 81 years of life. His mother was killed when he was three years old. Oh. An accident. His father could not handle raising a child, so he went to live with his grandmother, who had already raised 12 children. And that's where he was until the age of 10. But he completed, well, he didn't quite complete school. He went into his junior year and decided he knew more than the teachers. So he left school. And um, the state of Ohio started working with him, finding different ways that he could become productive and earn a living. So um, they taught Charlie to be an x-ray technician. Well, Charlie was very verbal. And um, being in a room alone did not appeal to him. So that did not last long. But next they trained him to operate a food stand in the courthouse in Troy, Ohio. And it was absolutely the best job he could have ever had. He had candy and crackers and snacks and drinks, coffee. And he did all this independently, managed money, talked to the public, and especially loved interacting with the lawyers and the judges. How did you guys meet? <laughs> well, that's coming up. Oh, okay. 
And next he was trained by a massage therapist. And guess what? I found him. I was going to a fitness center and heard about a man behind the curtain who gave massages and his name was Charlie. I had never had a massage and was scared to death, but decided to be brave and give it a try. And for three years, I was a customer. And then I married my masseur. <laughs> he had a 35-year career doing massage. Did he continue to give you massages? Not as often as I wanted. We would be standing in line somewhere and he would automatically rub my shoulders. So that was always nice. Oh, that's always nice. My massages slowed down a great deal after we married. Um, we had a table in our home and I could ask and I would receive, but um, they were not as frequent as what I had at the fitness center. <laughs> On the other hand, you weren't paying for them either. True. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Yes, I wanted to mention a few more things about Charlie and my relationship with him. Things that I was able to teach him and lead him into. And one was theater. Um, I had always attended live theater and found that uh, the live theater available to us offered audio description. So we began going to the theater and continued that throughout his lifetime. And it was such a benefit, um, not only to him, but to the people who were in attendance. They could see that even though he was blind, he was able to enjoy the play. And the other thing I introduced him to was travel. He had never been out of the state. And we started doing cruises. We took Amtrak around the country. And I would drive from, once we moved to Arizona, I would drive from Arizona back to Ohio and to Tennessee where his daughter lives. He would usually sit in the back seat with his talking books player and his serious radio and he would be fully occupied. And while I was studying maps and watching the road, he was um, just enjoying the trip. Every once in a while, he would say, tell me what you see. And I would fill him in. We went to Niagara Falls and the adventure of walking behind the falls and riding the little boat right up to the base of the falls gave him the opportunity to get wet and to hear the roar we also did a small boat cruise in Alaska, and he had a chance to go salmon fishing with other people from the group, and I did not go along. And he caught a salmon and was crowned king of the ship that evening. Wow. Well, that's really nice that you were able to expand his horizons and enjoy a lot of those activities together. Very much so. And we also went to the Holy Land took a boat across the Sea of the Galilee. And um, for him, he was very impressed being in the church that commemorates the birth of Jesus. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success.
Now for this week's final item, how to get Margaret Barnhart's book and how to contact her directly. So remind us again about the name of the book and tell us where people can get it. Inspirational Stories of the Visually Challenged Plus Resources is available through Amazon. I do want to mention that the paperback is large print. The resource section is very valuable because it comprises half of the book and it provides a large amount of information for people who are newly blind or who have not ventured into possibilities of the organizations and agencies. It describes different organizations that are available. But on Amazon, the book is available as an ebook and also an audiobook. Now, I have produced a thumb drive, which can be used in the talking book player. Um, I sell it directly for $12 through my email account, which is margeb730 at cox.net. Can you spell that? M A R G E. B, as in boy, 730 at cox.net. And that's C-O-X. Yes. If anybody had a question for you, they would send a note to the same email address? Yes. And I wanted to reinforce the point that, as Margaret said, about half the book is made up of resources. And resources can be particularly valuable for people who are newly facing vision problems because you're not plugged into the vast array of services and resources that are available for people with vision issues. So that can be an important part of the book. Anyway, if you're looking for any of those resources, as usual, to be available in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. And I want to remind people, if they're looking for other stories about people with vision issues, particularly in various fields or doing various kinds of athletics, make use of that search tool on our website. Just put in a keyword or a phrase, and you'll wind up with a list of shows matching those search terms to make it easy to find what you're looking for. That's it for show number 2101. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be reminiscing about access technology. David Bradburn, Vice President of Global Sales at Humanware, has been involved in the access technology field for over 35 years, and a lot has changed over that time. You can listen in on a conversation between Dave as a salesman and Pete as a user as they reminisce about the evolution of access technology equipment since the early days. And that was really a fun conversation that David and I had about some of the changes that have taken place in assistive technologies over the past several decades. There sure have been a whole lot of them. So we hope you'll join us next week for that episode. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. 
If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.